Greetings and salutations from Times Square, crossroads of the world. This is the Muni Lowdown, produced by DebtWire Municipals, where we talk about this week's most interesting stories in the municipal bond market. And I am your host, Young Lim, desk editor at DebtWire Municipals. Good morning, everybody. It is Tuesday, September 8th, day after Labor Day 2020. I hope everyone out there had a good Labor Day weekend. Today on the Me Lowdown, we've got Simone Barbo, or our reporter in Miami. She'll be talking about Florida's Florida's Brightline trains and how they are increasingly challenged after speaking to several managers, portfolio managers, and an analyst. This is as the South Florida Rail remains offline after five months and has ended its marketing deal with Virgin Enterprises. And then we'll move on to Greg Clark, uh, DebtWire Municipal's research. He will be discussing the Eye on Puerto Rico report, which captures principal and interest defaults, the draws on reserve funds, and similar events for every Puerto Rico obligor for which we have data. And that's on our show for today. All right. Good morning, Simone Barabo. Morning. In Miami, Florida. How are you? Doing well. Good. Glad to have you on the show. Pleasure to have you. So let's talk about the story you wrote last week about Brightline trains. And that's the train that's set to have a route from, I believe, from Miami to Orlando. Tell me, how are they doing? Right now, they're closed because of the coronavirus. <laughs> right, right, of course. So, yeah, so that's leading to basically a threefold of risks. The first is the obvious one. It's a passenger rail in South Florida, and we're a car culture down here. This has mm -hmm. always looked like a challenge to a lot of people. Before the pandemic, the company said it was happy with the numbers, but they were way below estimates, something the company blamed on a late start, but others saw as a less promising sign. And I think one portfolio manager that my colleague Cassie O'Donnell interviewed summed it up best when he said, I can't fathom a worse investment right now than a passenger rail in Florida, right. which <laughs> speaks for itself. <laughs> so that's not promising. Uh, passenger rails in general everywhere are struggling, including well-established ones like the ones here in New York's, uh, the MTA. Is anyone defending the rail down there at all? Yes. So the company stands by the concept. And basically, the company says that the shutdown isn't great, but long-term, it could present opportunities for the rail line. It's not the MTA. People have assigned seats. The bathrooms are touchless. The turnstiles are touchless and cashless. There are barriers between a lot of the seats, and there's room. And I've been on that train before when it was running between Miami and Palm Beach. It is really nice. And like mm -hmm. the company says, it's super clean. It didn't feel at all like riding the subway where people can be jam-packed at rush hour and some of the cars are a bit dingy. So the company argues as people get back to their lives, they're not going to want to take planes, especially for short routes like the ones between Miami and Orlando. The Orlando portion of the rail is scheduled to be completed in 2022, and that hasn't changed with the pandemic. And Novine, one of the bondholders, said that there may be more congestion on the highways if people are avoiding public transportation and planes. So people may be inclined to take a clean, speedy train. This is, of course, a longer-term issue. Will people eventually get on the trains or back on the trains, depending on how you look at it? The trains didn't have a very long history to begin with. 
There's, of course, a short-term liquidity issue, which both Brightline and Nuvein said isn't really a problem. Brightline said in a disclosure that they have access to ample operating liquidity to withstand a protracted shutdown, but really wouldn't answer questions beyond that. And protracted could mean a lot of things, one more month, 10 more years. Nuveen said Brightline would need to pay, wouldn't need to pay any interest expense from operations until January 2023 at the earliest. And Fortress Investment Group, which backs the train, isn't dependent on it turning a profit in its early years of service. So that definitely gives it some breathing room. Now, Simone, you mentioned threefold risk, and let's talk about, and I, you said, I think, passenger behavior post the pandemic is one of them. What are the other two? Right. The second one is the name. So today we're talking about Brightline trains, and I've been on the podcast talking about the same trains before, but calling them Virgin trains. Mm-hmm. So Brightline ditched the marketing deal with Virgin. They won't say why. We can guess other Virgin brands aren't exactly doing well. Virgin Atlantic started restructuring in the UK and filed for bankruptcy in the US a month ago. Presumably, if you're using the name to increase ridership, which is what Brightline planned to do, it's not great to be tied to that, even if it's just through a name. So it seems they've turned back to the Brightline name. I see. So two issues. Let me ask you one last question. So two issues are consumer behavior and the name. What's the third then? Right. The third is that they have a mandatory tender of $950 million in bonds coming up in January. And they have the money to pay those bonds back in escrow, according to their disclosures. But that's money that could otherwise be used on the construction of the line to Orlando. And they wouldn't comment on what happened, on what would happen if they can't or don't remarket those bonds as project bonds in the next few months. Prices on their bonds have dropped considerably over the past few months since the coronavirus spread. And they tend to be trading in the mid to high 80s now compared to around par before the pandemic. So their ability to sell or their willingness to sell at, at whatever price they can get is, is another risk there. I see. All right. Well, very interesting. And, and I know, like you said, you, you actually went on it and you said it's very clean. It's something that you could see as people do going back onto it, but at the same time, because of the pandemic, it's not a mainstream thing. So you, you can see how both sides of the, of the coin, how the bondholders feel. There's some ambivalence, some are like, okay, you know, this is something that we could look into, right? Right. The, the only, uh, the, the, the portfolio managers that we spoke with, both Kathy and I, none of them held the bonds. So the, really the only bondholders that we spoke with were Nuveen. And Nuveen is mm-hmm. definitely still, still optimistic about the train. Uh, other portfolio managers, and this has been true for a while, you know, it's, it's again, it's a passenger rail in South Florida that makes a lot of people skeptical. And the company has basically been like, look, no one's done this before, and this is something. Who wants to get on a plane if you're flying from Miami to Orlando? Which is true. When I've gone to Orlando, I've driven, and it's like a three-and-a-half, four-hour drive. That doesn't seem that bad mm. to me. But if, right. if you don't want to do it, you know, this is, this is an alternative. 
it always seemed in terms of and and they're they're building out more around here too. I think they just broke ground on the Aventura station maybe last week. That that was a really recent thing. It did strike me as a bit expensive when you're going on local route. I think round trip from here to Palm Beach. Actually, when I went, a friend of mine had some extra tickets, so she uh, very generously paid. But I, I think it was about a hundred bucks a person, or, or maybe it was wow. maybe it was seventy seventy to hundred. And you know, it's it's an hour long drive, and mm. traffic here can get super bad. But uh, you know, you're you're dealing with definitely a portion of the market that can afford cars when you're charging prices like that. So. The, the number of people you're going to be able to pull off the the roads and onto that, you know, it's it's it hasn't had much time to be tested. So yeah, when you're when you're doing these untested things, there's always going to be skepticism. So it's really the company and and Nuveen are still pretty. Um, still, their, their stance hasn't really changed much since the since the beginning. And those who are skeptical, you know, they say this is making things worse, but they were always skeptical before. All right. Well, listen, Simone, thank you so much for your work, yourself and Kathy. And uh, again, congratulations on uh, your upcoming, I know you're going to take some time off to, to um, have a your second child. So good luck with that. And we hope oh, to uh, talk to you again down the road and, uh, you know, get back on to covering... Um, the stress we need that out here. <laughs> well, I look forward to that. All right. Best of luck to you, Simone. All right. Thank you. All right. Take care. All right. Good morning, Greg Clark. How are you, sir? Good morning, Jan. How are you? Not too bad. How's things up there? Can't complain. You want to hear more about my weekend in Oswego? Sure. Why not? Let's 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 tell everybody how it was. <laughs> Well, just so everybody knows, it's on beautiful Lake Ontario. So I'll leave it at that. I don't want to bore people any more than that. <laughs> just some place to check out if you're ever in that neck of the woods, I guess. Exactly. All right. Well, I've been in New York City many times, and a lot of it up there is very beautiful. So, But I digress. So anyway, so Greg, um, last week, uh, Deadwire Municipal's Research Department, published its latest version of Eye on Puerto Rico. So tell us more about this publication. Shortly after Puerto Rico's first default on its bonds, Young, we decided we'd keep track of all principal and interest defaults on bonds issued by Puerto Rico and its roughly 20 borrowers. We're pretty sure that the number of defaulting entities would grow. And unfortunately, we were correct about that. So, for the record, which borrower, borrower defaulted first and when did that occur? The borrower that got things rolling, so to speak, was the uh, Public Finance Corporation, or PFC, of Puerto Rico, which failed to pay $57 million of principal and interest on, bonds, on its bonds on July 1st of 2015. All right, about... Uh... Five years ago. So since yep. then, how many borrowers have defaulted? Well, including the PFC, there are now 11 borrowers that have defaulted. Others include the Commonwealth itself on general obligation bonds, the Puerto Rico Electric Power Authority, 
better known as PREPA, and the Highways and Transportation Authority, or HTA. The total amount of principal and default is now $5.8 billion. Does, again, that does not include interest. That's only principal. This includes defaults by the Puerto Rico Sales Tax Financing Corporation, also known as COFINA, and the Government Development Bank of Puerto Rico, or GDB. Uh, we note that the then outstanding debt of each of these borrowers was, restruct was restructured within the last two years. So then what's some of the other information that you provide in your eye on Puerto Rico? report? Well, for each of the borrowers recover in the report, we provide the source of payment for its outstanding bonds. We also provide some basic information on the status of borrowers who uh, are operating under Title III or Title VI of the Puerto Rico Oversight Management and Economic Stability Act of 2016, known to our listeners as PROMESA. And uh, which borrowers are those? The uh, Title III and Title VI borrowers include the Commonwealth, the Employees Retirement System, which issued its own bonds, the HTA, PREPA, and the Public Buildings Authority. COFINA and GDB pre previously filed under Title III and Title VI, but with their respective debt restructurings, which we mentioned, those borrowers no longer have that status. They're out of Title III and VI. I see. Well, very interesting. Uh, Greg, as always, um, excellent work on your behalf and uh, your staff. And uh, Greg, we hope to talk to you again. Thanks, John. Take care. Okay, you too. Bye. And that's our show for today. Many thanks to Simone Barabo, and we wish her well as she um, embarks on her maternity leave. Also, Greg Clark for calling in and for his work on DebtWire Municipal's Research Department, and to our producer, Christian Ayala, who makes us sound really good week after week. But again, as always, many thanks to you, our listeners out there, who tune in week after week to me low down for the latest on distressed community debt. Stay safe out there, stay hopeful, and, and stay hopefully content. We'll talk to you again soon. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Muni Lowdown with me, your host, Young Lim. If you want to know more, subscribe to DebtWire.com and follow us on social media. Please leave comments, rate, like, and share. Join us next week when we talk about the latest in the municipal bond market.